That's What She Said, Episode 7.0, Branch Closing. Wow, that is really hard. You really think you can go all day long? Well, you always left me satisfied and smiling, so... That's what she said! <laughs> Suicide doors on my 57 Chevy Roll around town like a hero I got you on my mind Just like all the time Pedal down, nowhere to go I just came from your place Where you said don't be late When I showed up you weren't there I tried to fall And welcome to the seventh episode of That's What She Said a podcast about the Emmy Award-winning NBC show, The Office. As always, I'm your Human Resources Coordinator, Matt Summer, and this week we're going to be taking an in-depth and spoiler-filled look at the seventh episode of Season 3, entitled Branch Closing, which aired Thursday, November 9th, 2006. It's the moment we've been dreading since Season 1, folks. Scranton's being shut down, but Michael won't let it go without a fight. It's Brain and Bronze versus... Michael and Dwight. Corporate Greed versus Blind Ignorance. It's the bout to knock the other branch out. Will Jim return? Will Josh enjoy his time at Staples? Will Andy find solace in the Cornell Alumni Network? Only time will tell. Lots to discuss, lots to talk about. Let's head on over to the water cooler. It's a real shame, because studies have shown that more information gets passed through water cooler gossip than through official memos, which puts me at a disadvantage, because I bring my own water to work. Why'd you do this? I didn't do it. Oh, the water cooler was brought over here for maintenance. So what do you guys hear? What's a scuttlebutt? And joining me this week, as usual, is our junior sales associate, Ian Castleberry. Ian, how you doing? Matt, I'm doing great. I had the best weekend. I had this agreement with a coworker that if the podcast ever made it to seven episodes, well, uh, <laughs> I, just, I just had a really great weekend. All right. Glad to hear. Glad to hear that, man. Well, this has been a really bumpy week for the office here. I feel like it's been, you know, we've gone through crisis on infinite offices. We've got uh, worlds <laughs> man, merging, things colliding, people going back and forth, you know, people ending, dying, whatever the case may be. It's a roller coaster ride. I mean, let's just uh, let's go ahead and start it off though with our usual question. What did you think of the episode this week? I loved it. I laughed. I cried. Strong I, words. Loved. I I watched it a lot. Well, uh, I enjoyed it as well. Uh, I got to say, on my initial viewing, I was actually really let down by the fact that Michael and Dwight really had nothing to do with anything that happened. I originally, I, I really wanted them to go out and in their own bumbling, bungling way, somehow keep their office from closing. Uh, we didn't get to see that, but uh, I've made peace with that uh, that philosophy, and, and we'll see. I, I've got an interesting little uh, literary theory that we'll talk about later that you uh, have blown out of the water already, but we'll see how that goes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, no, I, I agree with what you said, although... In a way, the more I think about it, what the fact that Michael and Dwight had nothing to do with what happened and really was beyond their control. I mean, really, they found themselves in the same situation that everyone else in the office did, is that all these things were happening and nothing. They, there was nothing they could do about it, you know? They just had to wait. Right, well, I guess out. 
that's just the, I you know if you want to get really philosophical you can just say that's the way of everything in the world right ultimately most of us have very little direct uh, influence on our outside realities you know let's basically just kick it off because um, I know that you weren't a huge fan of the cold open this week but um, I gotta say this is a, it started the episode off with me on the right foot and I got a really huge laugh out of this hey hey who are you faxing so early in the morning? Oh, um, kind of hard to explain. I don't have a ton of contact with this Granton branch, but before I left, I took a box of Dwight's stationery. So from time to time, I send Dwight faxes from himself, from the future. Dwight, at 8 a.m. today, someone poisons the coffee. Do not drink the coffee. More instructions will follow. Cordially, future Dwight. Thank me later. Now that's obviously a big visual gag right there at the end because I just laughed my ass off at uh, at Rain Wilson like running full bore across the office and like bitch slapping the coffee cup out of Stanley's hand with that you know no classic <laughs> bodyguard shout and uh, well I don't want to sound like I I hated it I thought it was funny I mean I thought it was silly <laughs> a little cartoonish and I thought. Even though I don't think this was the intention, I thought it was actually kind of a little bit of a nod to heroes because something like that, I don't know if you watch the show, something like that happened where the future version of another character gave a warning to his uh, present or past self. I'm not exactly sure how that would Oh, man, you're blowing my mind here. Yeah, yeah. I've actually got all the seven episodes backlogged. I have only watched the, the pilot episode so far, but one of these days... Okay. I'm going to get there. And speaking of, you know, as well as long as we're talking about this um, cross-promotion stuff on NBC, you know, you could be right. Uh, one of my other friends, Dennis, sent me an email today saying that on uh, Friday's episode of Las Vegas that uh, one of the people in the in the hotel made some offhanded reference about how Dunder Mifflin booked a, a, their convention in the hotel and that they had to get extra security or something for it. So, Oh, that's funny. Uh, yeah. Of course, I, that would mean I, I watched Las Vegas. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> Just kidding, Dennis. Me too. I, I don't watch it either, but, uh, you know, it's kind of funny, I guess that their, uh, NBC is playing around with their different shows a little bit more. I think that's cool. I think the thing about the cold open is that, you know, again, I can understand why you think it's kind of goofy because it's one of those, situations where on the surface if you stop to think about it too much it's just stupid because you know aside from other little nitpicks and things like well doesn't the phone number automatically print out on the top of the fax of where it's coming from and you know all this kind of stuff yeah whatever uh, whatever yeah it, it's it's just along the line of the gag from last season where we had uh, jim pretending to have telekinetic powers <laughs> and, uh, and, and Dwight buying into that, so we know he's predisposed. He's a predisposed kind of a nerdy, nerdy guy who likes the X Files and the other paranormal kind of stuff. So yeah, what the hell? It was funny. And again, the the thing is that even though he's a total doofus, he still has a heroic spirit. Yes. Hopefully, it wasn't stomped to the to a pulp by Stanley. Don't mess with a man's morning coffee, man. Everybody knows what happened. Everybody has heard about this. They've been promoting it all week. The very title of the episode itself, Branch Closing. Okay, we knew this was coming. Um, let's just go ahead and kick it off with Jan coming in to talk to Michael. There she is. 
Jan Levinson, oh, first thing in the morning. Love to start my day with a hearty bowl of Jan. Michael. Just call me Levinson in the morning, baby. Michael. Yes. I'm here to tell you that we are closing this Granton branch. I don't understand. The board voted last night to close your branch. On whom's authority? The board's. I'm very sorry. I, I, I don't relish telling you this. Uh, you've been a big part of this company, and the board asked me to thank you for your years of service. You're welcome. A small number of people will be transferred to the Stanford branch, and the rest will be getting severance packages. Am I a small number person or a severance package person? Well, we haven't made final decisions about personnel yet, but you're a severance package person. <laughs> Oh my god. Oh my god. I just find that funny because you remember back even in the episode was it episode two, the convention from this season, um mm -hmm. in one of the deleted scenes, Josh makes some offhanded remark about how he was gonna try to find Michael a place in yeah. the office, uh, if they merged. And ultimately I guess we find out that that didn't happen. Um why would Michael not get an offer to work somewhere else? Again, we've seen the fact that he's a or maybe Jan, maybe Jan just couldn't offer the guy a job after seeing him cry. I don't think Michael ever has to worry about getting laid with Jan ever again. <laughs> Once you've blubbered and cried in front of... Oh, really? That's, that's been my technique all these times. No wonder it's never worked. <laughs> I was going to say, how's that working for you? <laughs> you know, that's just it, though. Okay, so he's cut, cut, let go. Again, I... I sort of feel bad for the guy, just his usual bravado, and he can't even comprehend the fact that they're closing the office, you know, on, on <laughs> whom's authority. <laughs> I love that. I love that line. <laughs> the, the board. Uh, uh, the board. Just disbelieving. Even though we've been, we've been playing with this downsizing or closing the branch theme since season one, episode one, I mean, we finally do see it come to fruition. After that, you know, after Jan... <laughs> tells him that, that he's being cut off and let go and given a severance package. He comes back with this. I don't get it because our numbers aren't that bad. Things are looking up. It's, it's not all about know, numbers, Michael. Well, it's, it's about talent. Okay? Oh, you got it. Josh? Our CFO believes that Josh, Josh. is going to play an important role in our company's oh, future. Oh, really? What role is that? Yeah. King of the stupid universe? Okay. Don't. I, I've, Do this. I think Do we're I, finished, and I need to we are go. Not. I would appreciate it if you would please use discretion until we get our ducks in a row. Oh, I know you're mad, I, but don't do this to me. I know, I know I hurt you, but please do not do this to me. Don't hurt me like I hurt you. Jam. So that was from the uh, producer's cut. Um, if you if you only watch the the over the air version, that that whole part was was cut out. Um, you know, again, Michael's theory and has always been that everything that's happening to him is because Jan uh, feels spurned and feels, you know, burned by the fact that he and Carol had sex. Um, I don't know. Do you still think there's any validity to that theory at all? Who knows? I don't think there's any. But well, but you know what though? I mean, Melora Hardin admitted in an interview, right, that she is kind of picking on Michael. Right. But in this case, I mean, it is what it is, right? I mean, Branch is closing. She had to break it to him. Right. I mean, she could have direct, I guess, direct responsibility to decide whether or not he keeps working there or not. Uh, that could be possible. But, you know, the look on her face when he's saying that is just, like, so incredulous. 
here's the thing. Ever since we've gotten the Stanford office, we've had this setup between Michael and Josh. You know, the golden boy versus the uh, the seeming idiot. Who, even though when you know when the chips are down, he still comes through usually in the end. But alas, Josh being groomed for bigger and better things. Uh, Michael probably risen as high as he's ever going to rise. And you know what the thing is, though, again, and this comes up later on, I mean, even though Michael is an idiot and, and kind of a fool, you know, his basic desire to be liked by his employees kind of goes both ways. I mean, that's his main... He doesn't ever once complain about his job being lost. Right. Um, I don't know if, if you pay attention to the whole episode. I mean, he never once says anything about, you know, this is uh, this sucks for me, I'm losing my job. You know, right, his, it's all about saving everyone else's job. His immediate, yeah. yeah, his immediate response is just to think that everyone in the office is going to be let down. And um, <laughs> that's where he starts to muse about a very special farm. They are making a huge, huge mistake. Let's see Josh replace these people. Let's see Josh find another Stanley. You think Stanley's growing trees? Well, they don't. There is no Stanley tree. Do you think the world is crawling with Phyllis's? Show me that farm. With Phyllis's and Kevin's sprouting up all over the place, right for the plucking. Show me that farm. He's so poetic in his uh, dejection, though, actually. <laughs> it's kind of that's kind of an interesting uh, extended metaphor that he busts out there. Drama. <laughs> Right for the plucking, my friend. And of course, the great visual gag that we can't see here is that you know Stanley's sleeping, yeah, and Phyllis, Phyllis is knitting a sweater. <laughs> exactly. So you know, all these great people that can't be replaced. Of course, uh, you know, if we play by the corporate rules of the real world, of course, these are horrible employees that should never be. <laughs> they should never have jobs. They should gladly be <laughs> booted out the door. But, um, you know, again, I mean, for Michael, the workplace, and this is the thing, they, what they didn't count on was Michael Scott's just <laughs> his blind allegiance to the office as his family. You know, he has no other friends and no other relatives, no other relations except these people in the office. And so if the office closes down, then basically that means he has no more friends, has no more family. You know, he's, he's really out of luck. And he tries to put on a brave face for the office uh, after getting this news. And, uh, you know, of course, whenever anyone says to Michael, you know, I'm counting on your discretion. Yeah. Have they learned nothing? (laughs) And we talked about that during the gay witch hunt episode where Toby comes in and says something like that. Almost exactly the same words. You know, Oscar, you really count on your discretion. (sighs) People, people, people. Michael tries to hide it as much as possible, but uh, they also subtly manage to figure out that something is amiss. Listen up, everybody. I have some news. All I can do right now is put on a brave face and go out there and be their leader. It's over. We are screwed. Dunder Mifflin Scranton is being shut down. Michael, uh, we shouldn't be talking about this until all the decisions have been made. You knew about this all along, didn't you? Jan told me just a few minutes before she told you. Traitor. You are a traitor. What about us, Michael? Do we still have jobs? I don't know. Probably not. This is the worst. So, this has been great. So let's get back to work and do the best job that we can. Toby, I'd like to see you in my office, please. All right. 
Oh my god, you walk so slowly. Blenderson! <laughs> Toby always steals his moment, right? Even even he can't even <laughs> let Michael have his big dramatic you know, this Reveal. is the worst. You know, he has to come in and we really shouldn't be talking about that. <laughs> I just love it, you know, everything about him, you know, God, you walk so slow. (laughs) (laughs) Just freaking Toby Flenderson, man, the guy, I don't know what it is about Michael, but, oh man, that was, uh, that's hilarious. All right, well, you know, this is actually pretty bad news, you'd think, for, uh, for most people here, and, and this is actually kind of one of the reasons why I was initially disappointed with the episode is the fact that, Every single person in the office, they seem just overjoyed that the office is being closed down, and maybe with good reason. It makes perfect sense that it would happen today, because I just received this in the mail. A thousand business cards with this address and phone number. I don't want to blame anyone in particular. I think everyone's to blame. If I get to stay, and Ryan is laid off, I will kill myself. Like Romeo and Juliet. The Claire Danes one. And the Kelly thing, I mean, again, that was a total visual, just like punch in the face when you, they flipped to her talking head and just said this freaking tarantula like Tammy Faye Baker uh, <laughs> mascara streaming down her cheeks. It's like if she gets laid off, by the way. Yeah, I mean, it's so overdramatic. Like, if, if I stay and Ryan gets laid off, I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I don't know what her deal is. I don't know how old she's supposed to be in this uh, universe, but man, she has some serious, serious well, maybe it's issues. A, maybe it's a Hindu thing. <laughs> well, I wouldn't go that far. I think it's a Kelly thing. Now, how about uh, Pam? What is her reaction and, and uh, Stanley's reaction to this whole thing? It's a blessing in disguise. Actually, not even in disguise. In my fantasy, I always thought I would slap someone, make a big speech, and storm out forever. But this is good, too. I couldn't be happier. I'm going to take the severance and retire. My wife and I are going to travel. <laughs> I really couldn't be happier. This is the thing. I mean, this is what's getting, what got me kind of bothered the, the first time I watched it is that, you know, they're setting this up that even if Michael saves the office, that no one wants him to. Yeah. No one in the office wants him to save it. Everyone's happy to be given a severance or cut off. And obviously, the, I mean, the truth of the matter is, Someone like Pam probably would be better off. Ryan, I'm sure he could find a better job somewhere else. Uh, I don't know about Kelly <laughs> all that much, but um, <laughs> Stanley, he's probably. I mean, I don't know how old he's supposed to be, but you know, maybe you know, at, uh, an extra. I'm sorry, getting let go ten years early. Hey, retirement starts ten years earlier than uh, <laughs> we thought. You know, be able to enjoy his retirement, go and travel, like he said. Yeah, uh, it seemed kind of real to me. That's the thing, though. During the Pretzel Day episode, he talked about how he made too little money and his daughter went to a too expensive school. And he sounded kind of like this really sort of sad sack guy that really couldn't afford to quit his job, you know, couldn't afford to uh, to not work. I guess it was a little... I, I just wanted to see somebody feel sad, feel yeah. bad about the fact that they were, they were leaving the office. Because, I mean, this is, you know, as viewers and as obsessive people that make podcasts about this show, um, you know, this is our... This are these are our buddies. This is our home away from home, our office away from the office. If you what will. about us? Why weren't they thinking of us? <laughs> so your mascara was running down your cheeks the whole time that stuff was going on. Uh, I use the uh, waterproof stuff just for that. Uh, just for that reason. Now, 
this is another one. I want to play this uh, a few other reaction clips um, because this actually ties directly into the summer webisodes, and this is one of the only references so far that they've ever made to that. Do you guys know who's going where? Oh, don't worry. You're going to be fine, Roy. You're very strong and capable. Thanks. <laughs> oh, grow up. I don't want to work here without Pam. Just be like loading trucks without any meaning, you know? That's just the thing, like I said. Now, that, that whole thing with Angela and Roy, that ties back into one of the summer webisodes where uh, Kevin was teasing her about the fact that, uh, that she had a crush on Roy because uh, she was convinced that Roy could never have stolen the, uh, the $3,000 because he was such a good, honest, hardworking man. So that's why Kevin's laughing his ass off in the background. And, uh, and that ties in. And, you know, what? unfortunately we got... Uh, normally with the producer's cut, I mean, they added 10 minutes. And the ridiculous thing is they actually cut out some stuff Yeah, that was in the on-air version. So one of the things that we missed, and I don't know if it came right there or or later, but we get uh, Roy Roy's classic line about how, you know, it's just like that Cinderella song, <laughs> you know, and they can say it way better than I know how to say it. <laughs> you don't know what you got until it's gone. That was um, a great band. While we're uh, talking about Roy, let's just bring that up because uh, some of the people on the blog page mentioned this as well, that Roy really came across as sort of an annoying kind of twerp in this episode. And, you know, I, I guess I should be feeling kind of sorry for him a little bit more and that he's trying, uh, trying to win Pam back. Um, I, I don't think he's – I don't think it's happening, man. I don't know. <laughs> he no, came across – we also had that scene in the producer's cut where, you know, it become pretty clear that Pam had had moved on and, you know, was was trying different things and Roy kinda had that moment where like, Oh, she's changed, I don't know her anymore. Yeah, and again, I mean he was at least trying to be supportive of uh, of her and saying how cool yeah. it was that she was in art school and all that other stuff, but um I don't know. I, I we got like at least three or four scenes of him in this episode where he came up and talked to her. And it was all pretty much the same thing. So I don't know what they're doing with that. I'm, I can only believe that they're doing this because they want us to think that he has a chance. That uh, you know. Are there any uh, Ram or Poi fans out there? I mean, what? <laughs> Poi. <laughs> what about the Rangela? Uh, no. <laughs> Angeloy. I don't know. Angeloy. <laughs> um, but you know, I mean, that's the thing. I we're setting up this love quadrangle. Obviously, we're going to have Pam and Jim and Karen. And then, you know, are they still going to have Roy in there anywhere? Is he still playing a part? I mean, I know it's I know that relationships, once they go sour, they just end. I, I sort of wish that we would be getting just a little bit more of maybe Pam having second thoughts or, or, or thinking about him. I mean, this is, after oh, all, this was, this was the guy that she uh, was, you know, going out with for nine years. Yeah. I mean, there's still a lot of season to go, and um, I don't know. I, I would be a little disappointed, frankly, if you know, if you have a line in the first episode that you know I'm gonna win her back, and they don't follow up on that. Um, maybe they. Are, I mean, maybe this is how they're following up on it. Yeah, I it, think this is. I have a sad feeling that uh, <laughs> he's just gonna keep getting kind of like more and more pathetic. I think until eventually he's just gonna have to give up or something's gonna happen. DUI. 
<laughs> oh, man, I can't deal with that again. So far, we've been sticking with the Scranton office, so uh, let's head on over to Stamford and see what's going on. Uh, at this point, the rumors are circulating. Hey, um, did you hear about your friends in Pennsylvania? Rumor has it that the Scranton branches. Really? Wow, that's bad. Um, sorry, Scranton branch is closing? In your face. Well, I work here now. Mmm, sucker. <laughs> that's just so ridiculous. I don't know. Yeah. Andy totally. is such an ass to assuage any Andy fans' fears. Um, it has been, sorry to do this, it has been spoiled that Andy is, in fact, moving to Scranton. Uh, he will be a part of the show. He will be. When I heard that, I totally trashed the break room. <laughs> well, that's the thing. You know, in that clip, he flips out and he looks like he's really, uh, you know, really unhappy. And I assumed for sure that he was gone, you know, that he wasn't. He wasn't going to be making it back, but um, a little bird told me that he is appearing in the next episode and will be moving to the new branch. So I guess we'll see a little bit more of him. But yeah, guys, just such a dick. <laughs> in your face, sucker. <laughs> As we go along then in this plot line, um, Jan comes in. After telling Michael that their office is closing, she comes in to talk to Josh and lay it on the line. So... Josh will be running what is now called Dunder Mifflin Northeast, which is all the offices north of Stanford. And Jim, if you want the job, you'll be his number two. Wow. Uh, sure, absolutely. Oh, Excuse me, Jan, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to stop you there. I um, will not be taking the job. Why not? As of today, I have accepted a senior management position at Staples. You leverage your new position with us into another offer? Damn it, Josh. This whole restructuring thing was based around keeping you. I... I'm sorry, all right? It's done. Say what you will about Michael Scott, but he would never do that. And that's, uh, you know, that's a great line in there, yeah. in fact, because that's where we have been this whole episode, is that Michael is kind of a fool. He's an idiot. You know, he, he's not the greatest guy. He's not the greatest businessman. He's not the smartest, but... He would not ever screw over his employees. He would not screw over his company. Josh seems to represent, you know, that that's business these days. That's what business people do, right? Yeah. That's how you're supposed to play the game. Michael, again, still thinks of everything as family, as, as all about loyalty, as about, you know, these people that he works with are of tantamount importance. And that comes across as looking sort of corny, but yet noble, I guess, at the same time. After this all takes place, then we also get to see uh, Michael can stand it no more after he sits in fumes for a while. And he just, you know, he has to do something. He has to feel like he's going to make a difference in the world. All right, listen up. Some of you may have heard some rumors about the branch closing. Um, like when you said the branch was closing? But I am not going to take this lying down. I have a plan, and I am going to save our job, so just hang in there. Let's go. Yes! Oh, good, you're bringing Dwight. Yes, this might get ugly. I need backup. What's the plan? Go to New York, confront the CFO, show him he's making a mistake, save the branch. Can I drive? No, way. Shotgun! No, there's no one else. So idealistic, you know, off on his mission to save the branch. I don't know. What do you think about that plan? <laughs> I think I feel the same way Pam feels. <laughs> oh, you're bringing Dwight. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, probably not a good thing. Um, even though, like I said, this, I just, I, 
I had it in my head. I wanted to see them be successful. I just, I really did. And I know this show's not about, it's, it's not about the happy ending. It's not about, um, you know, having people be competent, uh, most of the time. And I guess that was my, unfortunately my expectation got a little, a little out of control. But, um, again, I still give Michael props for his willingness to, to do something. He, he's trying to save the office. Right. It's, it's like you said, it's the, uh, antithesis of what Josh was. I mean, we hit, there was a line uh, earlier before, before the scene you played with uh, Josh, Jim, and um, Jan, where Jim's trying to figure out, well, who's coming over from Scranton? And then Josh has that little line, well, I wouldn't worry about it. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty clear that, you know, that he knows that, he already knows what he's going to do, and it's going to screw everybody else who works in Stanford. Yeah, he's basically him taking this job for himself, closes that office and yeah, puts puts everyone exactly and puts everyone in there possibly out of work, you know, for his own personal gain. So Josh, bad, bad man. Michael, good, <laughs> sort of. Well, good intentions. He tries anyway. Going back to uh, to the reactions and the other Scranton people's reactions to the the branch closing. Uh, <laughs> Again, this is, you know, Kelly has got to be the dumbest thing ever because Ryan decides this is a perfect time to end their sort of clingy, terrible relationship. And uh, he wins her over using the force of his logic. I just feel like it could have been something special if we could have kept working together. But I'm going to go someplace else and you're going to go someplace else. It just doesn't make sense. This kind of worked out perfectly for me. I got some good experience. Uh, Michael's going to write me a great recommendation. And as far as me and Kelly goes, I think it's for the best. I don't know. I just find that hilarious. That his, his line of reasoning <laughs> is the fact that, well, if we don't work together, we can't go out anymore. You know? Right. I mean, that would actually probably help their relationship if he was interested. <laughs> we could have been something special if only we kept working together. The future Josh in the making. <laughs> Uh, and this, it's like I said, that's just the thing that kills me is that Kelly's so stupid that she buys that. She buys into that reasoning, you know. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Even though we live in the same city, and uh, we can see each other every day, and we can still have you know live together and go out and everything. Well, if we can't work together, then uh, forget it, man. Poor old Kelly. Makes you wonder how much they see each other outside of work. Well, I mean, we've seen that in a couple episodes. Uh, that you know, obviously at the Diwali party, uh, at that one, they went on the double date with Pam and that cartoonist guy oh, right, at the beginning. Right. So I, I have a feeling they're hanging out probably quite uh, quite more than Ryan would want, I would guess. So back to Michael and Dwight. Now uh, they call ahead as they're driving to New York. I mean, it's like a couple hour drive, and find out that the the CEO is not in the office, and uh, Dwight uses his cunning ninja skills to figure out where his house is. Uh, uh, so they go and they camp. And they and, and Michael's big plan right now, and, and what he's come up with is that he's going to just simply confront the guy. Okay, this is it. This is exactly what Michael Moore does, famous documenter. And he goes up to people with a camera, and he's like, why did you do this? Why did you pollute? You are bad. You're a bad person. Very dramatic. Although I can't say I was a big fan of Bowling for Columbine. 
because I thought it was going to be a bowling movie, like Kingpin. And it wasn't. It was something else. A bowling movie. Yeah, I bet there are people who really... <laughs> something like Kingpin. But yeah, no, um, so famous documentarian, Michael Moore. Again, would this work or not? Uh, well, I don't know. Dwight thinks that they could use a bit of polishing. Do you know what you're going to say when he shows up? I will improvise. I will speak from the heart. No. Bad idea. You need an attack plan. I'll be him. You be you. Let's practice. Dum -da -dum -da -dum. Coming home Excuse from work. Excuse me. Mr. Wallace? David Wallace? Yes? What is the meaning of this? Can you tell us why you are shutting down Scranton and putting 15 people out of work? Well, the branch is no longer financially viable. It's simple dollars and cents. Yes, but these are employees, sir. These are human beings. Listen, Scott, it's no longer financially viable. We're losing money, okay? It's not a charity. It's a business, and it's a dying business. Look, the whole business model of the small regional paper company simply doesn't make sense stop, anymore. Stop it. Just... Okay, he's not going to say any of that. It... Well, hey, why not? Because he'd be intimidated, and I just... Let's start again. Just be more scared of me, okay? Don't touch me this time. So again, <laughs> flying in the face of reality, you know, Michael refuses to accept that. Uh, of course, Dwight's what Dwight says is probably exactly what the guy would say. Yeah. Um, so uh, you know, as always, Michael has no counterpoint, no uh, no logic, no reasoning behind his. He's going to intimidate Wallace and the <laughs> acquiescing. Yeah, somehow he's going to be so uh, confront, you know, so afraid of that documentary camera there that uh, he's just going to bend over. You know, that's again, it's typical Michael. You know, it, it, Michael's all instinct, all emotion, no reason, no thought. I guess that's why he makes such a good salesman, such a bad, bad manager. I don't know. I, this is the one little thing I didn't play at the end there. Then when they rerun it again, then Dwight comes back up. <laughs> and he's like, dum 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 dum. He's like, hey, Mr. Wallace. He's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly more intimidated. You know, as they're sitting around uh, waiting, and that's the big thing, then they spend all day waiting around this guy's house, waiting for him to come back. Uh, Dwight takes it upon himself to do a little investigating of his own. You can learn a great deal about a man from his trash. Case in point satellite TV bill. Lesson learned, he's rich. Mm. Coffee grounds. Was he enjoying a delicious hot beverage? Or disguising the scent of cocaine from drug-sniffing dogs? It's a nice house. <laughs> ah, Dwight, Dwight, Dwight. This goes back to last season with the, uh, the, uh, the drug testing episode where his super, you know, sheriffing skills come into play. While Michael and Dwight are sitting there on their fool's errand, of course, like you said before, we played the clip with uh, Josh turning down the job, um, which causes Jan to backtrack and drive another couple hours back to Scranton yet again. What's going on here? We know the branch is closing, Michael told us. Oh, God. Okay. You know what, everybody? I'm sure there is a better way to do this, but I've driven something like 400 miles today, and I'm completely exhausted, so I'm just going to tell you, your branch is not closing. Stanford is closing. Um, for the time being, it seems that all of your jobs are safe. Yeah. Is it because of Michael? Did he actually do something? Well, reasons are not important. Would you just call him, please, wherever he is, and tell him? Sure. 
So what do you think? I mean, is the legend of Michael Scott going to live on? But uh, are they actually going to think <laughs> Quite that? Quite possibly. Are they going to think he did do something? I mean, that would be kind of interesting. If yeah, um, that would be interesting. Can I just say though that Melora Hardin plays her role as Jan so well. I mean, I swear I have worked for this woman. <laughs> or people, you know, I don't. I almost don't know how to describe it. She just plays that well, that so type weird. so well. That's why I was so shocked when I went to her uh, her website that we mentioned yeah, a couple yeah. weeks ago because it's like got all these sex kitten pictures and like all this weird stuff on there that you don't expect from this totally hard ass you know businesswoman. I mean, yeah, she definitely definitely uh, plays the type. Um, everyone in the office is you know there actually are some happy people in the office and we get to see a site that is a, a, a rare site indeed with uh, Kevin and Angela embracing one another. Uh, and I don't think that's something that we'll ever see repeated. Everyone there obviously knows, <laughs> except Michael. And everyone knows. Everyone in Scranton knows. Everyone in Stanford knows. Everyone knows, except for Michael and Dwight, of course. And the big gag, then the, the outro on that segment of the show, is that Pam calls him up. Uh, what's the deal with Michael and his ringtone, man? I had no idea what that ringtone was until people were pointing it out. I had a feeling it was something popular or whatever. But. <laughs> well, it's it, Michael always says something that's sort of not quite popular anymore, like it used yeah, to be sort of popular. Yeah, would definitely qualify. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, guys, you got to stop with the MIDI ringtones. I mean, we got MP3 real tones these days. He used to have, that was the big gag last season, he had uh, Mambo Number no. 5 was his <laughs> ringtone. So, you know, again, it was like about five years too late. What's your ringtone? Uh, what's my ringtone? Well, I have different yeah. ringtones for different people, but my yeah, generic, my generic ringtone is in fact the office theme from the oh, ringtones. Nice. So, yeah, there you go. I can't remember my generic one. I have a, a few very special people whose uh, ringtone is Super Freak. <laughs> Let's not get into that. Anyway. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So we're back to. Uh, I mean, with that in play, with everyone else knowing what's going on, we're back to the Stanford office um with josh you know out of the picture uh our man halpert the the man who no one thought could do anything suddenly is the number two guy in the branch so we are still scrambling here but mm-hmm. uh it looks like scranton is going to absorb stanford wow and I know that you just left there a couple of months ago, but we would like to offer you the number two position at that branch. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I'll have to be quite honest with you, Jan. I have a few unpleasant memories of Scranton. And, um... <sighs> Michael. No, 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 just, um, some personal stuff. And I'm not really ready to revisit that, I don't think. Please think about it. And call me. We will do whatever we can to get you to stay. Okay. So this, I, I find this interesting just simply because of the fact that Jim's return to Scranton is actually going to be very different. He's going to be in a very different place now. He is yeah. going to be uh, the, well, I guess the assistant regional manager. Uh, he's going to be Dwight's boss. He's going to be oh. Pam and Ryan and everyone. He's going to be you know above all these people in the office, second only to Michael. That totally changes the entire dynamic of the office, of the whole show, because... Like I said, now what happens? If Jim is Dwight's boss, does Dwight start sucking up to Jim? Or no, it they... just opens up a whole new... Yeah, are they going to have great. that same rivalry anymore? 
will Jim still play these pranks when he's the man, you know, the assistant manager, and he's supposed to be in charge of all this stuff? Will yeah. he will he still be screwing around? Will he still be, uh, you know, doing things like the Office Olympics and all these other things when he's essentially in charge? I, you know, ever since he's left, he's basically gone from being a total slacker to the second highest guy in the office. So what's that going to do? I mean, what's that going to do? What do you think is going to, I mean, what do you, how do you think that's going to break down? Do you have any speculation? Uh, no, I don't, not really. But, I mean, I think it's going to set up some really interesting tension between him and some of the characters. You know, he's maybe, you know, he'll try to be the same guy he was going back to Scranton and try and fall into some of that... The, same roles, you know, prankster and whatnot, and, you know, he might find himself in situations where, you know, he was buddies with these people, and now he kind of has to be uh, a little more of a supervisor, boss, management type person. Uh, that could be really interesting to see. Or maybe he'll be the cool boss that every, that Michael wants to be, you know? <laughs> oh, man. Well, the key thing is that, obviously, Jim is conflicted about taking the job, and Still concerned with Pam, still worried about that whole thing, uh, and not sure what he's going to do, but uh, he does get interviewed by the evening news. Thunder Mifflin Action News. Jim Halpert, will Big Tuna be transferring to Scranton? Oh, I don't know. Jan offered me the job, and I haven't really decided yet. Yeah, well, even if I don't get transferred, I'll probably be fine. Cornell has an extensive alumni network, so we look out for each other. Probably go back and teach or something. Where'd you go to college? <laughs> Cornell. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Where did he come up with that? Probably go back and teach or something. <laughs> love, that's my favorite line from the producer's cut. Where'd you go to college? I mean, yeah. That's like exactly the right thing to say. <laughs> Jim does have a gift for putting people in their place. Yeah. Um... So he's going to be Andy's boss too, right? Yeah, well, I think that's the thing. Like, I they've never made it clear what his relationship is because I, I assume that he's even Andy's boss in the Stanford office. I, I don't know. You, yeah, you'd think, although they certainly seem like they're peers. Yeah, they do. That's the thing. We never, we didn't get to see uh, his title. We don't know for sure exactly what he was doing. They might have, you know, they might have three or four different assistant regional managers. Who knows? Right. Um, but definitely, yeah, putting him at number two is going to put him above everybody else, above Karen, above Andy, above everyone else. Uh, and that brings into the whole other thing, too, about being on different levels. And, you know, can you have a relationship with somebody that's on such a totally different level from you? I'm sure that's going to be part of what the, the conflict between the, the Pam and Karen triangle is obviously the fact that Pam is just, you know, like the secretary who, uh, you know, hasn't really gone doesn't really know what to do and still trying to figure out what she wants to do with herself and she's sort of low down on the totem pole and then you have Karen who's, you know, glamorous and the sale you know, higher executive type person in the office. So definitely I think, you know, there's gonna be some some tension with that aspect as well. You know, and that's the thing, as all this stuff is proceeding apace then, you know, we keep going back to Dwight and Michael waiting, waiting, waiting for this guy to come back to his house <laughs> as uh as Darkness descends upon them. Uh, they get a little maudlin in uh, in the Sebring. What if this doesn't work? What if the office actually goes under? Then it was an honor to have worked with you. All right. Favorite moments 
in Dunder Mifflin history. Go. My first day when you hazed me by spraying me with a fire extinguisher. <laughs> <laughs> that was hilarious. Foam. Uh-huh. <laughs> Um, my first sale, uh, my promotion to assistant regional manager, our basketball game, uh-huh. when you took me to the hospital and told me that you cared about me. Oh, right. Okay. That's enough. That's good. What were your favorite moments? All of them. I loved them all. Every single one. What about when Jan said the branch was closing? God, twice you know, Typical lame, non-committal answer. <laughs> of course, comes back to bite him in the butt. Uh, Dwight's just so literal, of course. He never lets anything go like that. And you know, that's the thing with that scene, is that that was the one moment in, this, in the show where there was actually some kind of emotion that I felt. Dwight unburdening himself. And of course, those are all some of those things that he mentions, like the basketball game, uh, reference back to season one. Um... The hospital visit, you know, referencing the the injury episode from last year when he crashed into the light post trying to get Michael <laughs> his George Foreman grilled foot to the hospital or whatever. <laughs> um, you know, a little maudlin there. Dwight uh, Dwight chokes up a little bit, and Michael will have none of it. All right, well, we're just about done with uh, the main plot line here. Uh, before we finish it off completely, let's go back over to Stanford. Um, we get this final confrontation between. Uh, Karen and Jim uh, about what Jim is going to do with his life. What are you going to do? I really don't know. How you doing with all this? I'm fine. I'll be better when I know if I have a job. You'd actually move to Scranton? Yeah, if they let me. I think I, I think I would. New York City is 45 minutes down the road from here. And you want to move to Scranton? I don't know. If I were you, I'd move to New York. Yeah, you know, I, I might do that. I might, who knows? I, I, I might do that. Hey, um, I think I am going to take that job. And Scranton? It's not that bad. So, if they offer you a job there, I think you should take it. Okay, yeah, maybe I will. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy you said that. I mean, I don't think he's into me or anything, but I'm kind of into him. So, there you go. So, are you warming up to uh, Miss Filippelli here, Ian? Did you hear the sound of glass shattering by any chance just now? Because <laughs> no. that, that was heartbreaking for Karen. Oh, jeez. That poor woman. Well, this is not going to end well. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe, maybe not. Maybe it'll last for a while. Yeah, a, you're right. Maybe not. Maybe not. It's a big thing to move uh, your whole life to another city uh, for a guy, I guess. So I don't know. I mean, I, I, a lot of people make comments on the blog about how they were kind of warming up to her and that that line really kind of won them over a little bit to uh, Karen's cause. Yeah, well, as you know, I've I've, I've already been quite fond of uh, Miss Filippelli, so well, I, I dug that line. I She still hasn't gotten enough time for me to really care that much about her yet, um, but with her in the office, we'll see... What happens, and really, I mean, like you said, they're they're really, you know, they're really shaking up the status quo for this show, adding all these new characters into the office, which uh, is awesome. Doing all this crazy stuff, <laughs> yeah. I mean, this, uh, as they said, this is not your uh, slightly older brother's the office. 
Whole new world, man. And yeah, even well, Buffy and them eventually had to graduate high school. You know, you gotta you gotta shake it up. I guess. Yeah, the show sucked after that, though. So oh, I don't know if that's a good, good idea. Yeah. Well, let's wrap it up. Uh, everyone's happy. Everyone knows. Everyone's got everything settled down except for Michael and Dwight. And uh, Michael, again, this is the other part of the episode where I actually did feel feel a little lump in my throat for Michael. Oh, this is a stupid idea. This was so stupid. I'm such a stupid idiot. I let everybody down. Everybody hates me. I lost everybody's jobs. Nobody likes me anymore. Oh, my God. What? Stanford is closed. Michael, we're not closed. Stanford is closed. Stanford is closed. We did it. We did it. We did it. We did it. No! We did it! We did it! Right there! Right there! Oh! 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 That one man, scorned and covered with scars, still strove with his last ounce of courage. How was that all about? <laughs> uh, well, I, put I think that... you might have to explain that for the people there. All right. Well, I, I, I put that in there on purpose, and that uh, if you don't know, that is the, this is the famous song, Dream the Impossible Dream, that, uh, that comes from the Man of La Mancha musical, which is a musical adaptation of uh, Miguel Cervantes' Don Quixote novel. And, uh, again, the reason why I put that in there is because... As I mentioned at the very beginning of the show, uh, originally when I watched the the way that this panned out, the fact that Michael and Dwight did absolutely nothing, I, I really hated the episode that they had done that. I really felt betrayed that I wanted to see Michael and Dwight accomplishing something. I wanted to see them doing something and being successful. Though the more times I watched the episode, the more I started to feel... you know, Especially when, in contrast, direct contrast to uh, to Josh and his behavior... I, I, it all of a sudden hit me that, you know, Michael is just like the freaking Don Quixote of the business world. He's totally self-deluded. He, uh, you know, he goes out and thinks he can fight the unbeatable, you know, he can dream the impossible dream. He can fight the unbeatable foe. And he just has to have a little, no matter what, it's going to work out somehow in the end. And, and uh, he sees himself as this heroic figure. He's trying to save everyone's job. And once I kind of realized that, I, I got to the point where I, I didn't mind the ending anymore, because just sort of like with with Don Quixote and with like the the one of the themes from the Man of La Mancha musical is just simply the fact that um, you know it's the try it's trying and it's caring you know and, and that kind of thing that matters uh, sometimes more than actual 
direct action. So even though Michael really didn't do anything directly, he did do something directly because the fact of the matter is that he saved the branch by being Michael and by not being Josh. And maybe you can call that a victory by default or something. But, uh, you know, ultimately he did he did come through and he, the Scranton is still open simply because of he's the way he is and he wouldn't sell out his friends and family. And so there's your little literary connection. For Dude, the- you read so much more than I do. <laughs> well, uh, that's my job, man. I um, get Cinderella lyrics, but you start going... Uh, <laughs> Well, that's again, and if you want to go any even further, then you know Dwight is, of course, the Sancho Panza analog in the story because he's uh, he's the voice of reason, sort of, that goes along with Michael, and and uh, he, you know he he tells him what the boss is going to say, and Michael won't have anything to do with it. He's um, the backbeat. He would be the bass player in Cinderella. <laughs> oh, you're losing me here, man. I'm trying to elevate the the discussion uh, with these people. You know, all in all. Definitely a, a plot mover. This opens up so many more possibilities. I don't even know what the hell is going to happen, to tell you the truth. But it did show. answer a lot of questions. Yeah, I mean, I mean it answered questions. Uh, we got uh, a merger, of course. We got our guy Jim back in Scranton, along with some new customers, some new playthings, as it were. And I think one of the most in- enjoyable things about this episode for me was just how, you know, we've had all these questions. How is... How is this going to happen? How is uh, how are the two offices going to merge? You know, who's going to go where? And uh, I think it was the um, <clears throat> I'm sorry I can't remember her name, but she's a blogger on TVGuide.com, and she was saying it's kind of like watching puzzle pieces being moved around and then fit into place. <laughs> and I, I kind of felt like that's what we were seeing. You know, the office always kind of builds itself as being a non-traditional sort of sitcom, and in a traditional sitcom, that's maybe what you would have gotten. That you would have been up in the air, you know, the whole episode, and then you just would have found out at the last minute, you know, oh, we got, you know, we're saved. But uh, they just kind of like pull that rug right out right at the beginning of the show. And then uh, from then on, it's just sort of how, yeah, like you said, how are they going to work this stuff out? So kudos to you, Cousin Moe's, for writing an excellent episode. Yes, great job. Uh, any messages? Yeah, just a fast Oh, and this is from corporate. How many times have I told you that there's a special filing cabinet for things from corporate? It's called the waste paper basket. Why didn't I want to get it? You put it in the garbage can that was a special filing cabinet. Yeah, uh, that was a joke. So news this week, um, from the Scranton Times uh, gossip column, I guess... Uh, it's come out that on December 17th... That must uh, be a raging gossip column, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it is. Um, December 17th, fans in the area can look forward to our very own Rain Wilson making an appearance at the local Steamtown Mall, uh, which has been mentioned also in the show. From the LA Times uh, this last week, we got this story called Taking Hits from the Brits. Basically, what is going on is we've seen this season, um, The Office... Obviously, a successful adaptation of a British show, uh, Ugly Betty, a successful adaptation of a South American show. Uh, the tone of the article is pretty much simply the fact that, uh, as usual now, American producers are scrambling to steal ideas from other countries. Um, 
Uh, let's see. You know, we've had a couple of notable flops the last few years before The Office came along. I mean, need I mention coupling to Oof. anyone? Um, yeah, I didn't think so. And Ricky Gervais said, though, that what The Office has done is make people forget the last 30 years. It's always been a very precarious process. What do you do? Make it the same and hope people are the same everywhere? What's the point? Why not show the English version or make an American equivalent, keeping the blueprint and the mood the same, which is what we did with the American office? Um, Greg Daniels, executive producer, recalled that at the beginning, he was under enormous pressure from people who loved the original show, which was airing on BBC America at the time. As Daniels said, all the important people in the field of comedy were, whose opinion I respected were telling each other no way it could be adapted. I loved it too. I didn't want to do something that would cause people to hate me. This is also a little tidbit. He mentions that the, the U.S. version of The Office was one of the lowest testing pilots NBC executives had ever seen. <laughs> Greg Daniels was emailing me saying, we got the lowest focus group scores ever. I said... Brilliant. So did we, Gervais said. So what were you going to say? No, it's just amazing to me. I remember when I first heard that a U.S. version was being developed, and I just, I think coupling was fresh in my mind. I thought, oh, please, Jesus, don't do this. <laughs> this is not going to work. It's not going to be good. Of course, if you had told me two years later I'd be uh, part of an office podcast, and, uh, I mean, that's hilarious. <laughs> Aside from getting the producer's cut of the episode on Thursday, Greg Daniels also did a live blog on NBC.com, and uh, some of the tidbits that came out of that meeting are uh, in reference to the office cast actually going to Scranton. Uh, Greg said that rain is coming. Okay, I don't know if that's uh, the Christmas reference or another time, but he says, we're trying to build a St. Patrick's Day episode and go in March, but the current NBC schedule has repeats around St. Patrick's Day, so it depends on the storyline. I want to get the whole cast out there soon. We'd like to do new webisodes based on following the cast around Scranton and getting real interactions. Road trip. <laughs> uh, we had a couple of people saying, well, after Diwali, that uh, Dwight and Angela are broken up. They're over, right? Well, not according to Greg Daniels. Daniels says that Dwangela are going strong, although still trying to hide it. There might be some big drama in that relationship come January. So a little spoiler alert there. Uh, he also mentioned, as we've said before, that they'll be doing the Christmas episode to air on December 14th. And get this, it will be, he says, an hour long. It was also directed by uh, comic legend Harold Ramis, otherwise known as Egon from the Ghostbusters. Fans of Michael's love life, he says, should especially catch the Christmas special. So, hmm, what does that mean? Only time will tell. He also said that Oscar will be returning and that he's just finished directing that episode and it will air in January. Yeah, I miss Oscar. And lastly, he mentioned that um, they tried to get Mackenzie Crook, who played Gareth from the BBC version, to be in the paper convention episode, but we couldn't work it out timing-wise. News of the World did an interview, again, with Ricky Gervais this last week, and I only brought it up because uh, I thought it was sort of interesting. He mentioned that he has turned down an offer to make a stage show based on The Office. 
Uh, he revealed that he was given a chance of taking David Brent on a world tour, but turned it down for fear of exploiting the show. He also added that the American version of The Office is making more money than any tour could, and I don't need to get off the sofa. So there you go. <laughs> Thank you, Ricky Gervais, for having some integrity. Oh, uh, well, <laughs> I guess if How you're bad making enough I mean, cash. And Thank lastly, you, Ricky Gervais. Press release this week, we have uh, Rain Wilson to judge children's writing contest. The Screen Actors Guild Foundation introduces their first annual children's writing contest uh, for children in Los Angeles. Children are urged to enter the contest, Love Equals, which runs through to December 31st, culminating with a party next year for the winners who will receive great prizes and cash awards up to $5,000. Well, next week's episode, as we've talked about before, is called The Merger. And uh, from NBC, the summary says the Scranton branch and the Stanford branch of Dunder Mifflin are merged, bringing old friends Jim and Pam back together after months apart. Michael and Dwight and the other employees deal with the changes. And remember, again, this is a supersized episode uh, running from a ridiculous time of 8.36 to 9.20 p.m. Uh, Eastern This is time. where TiVo and all that comes in handy. I do have a clip, a preview clip that they aired, and they aired this right at the end of the regular Office episode last Thursday. So let's uh, let's take a listen. Next Thursday, NBC comedy so huge it's supersized. Excuse me. Ten extra minutes of every comedy with an eye-popping Earl that's part animation. I'm a changed man, Randy. Followed by the Office moment we've all been waiting for. <laughs> Jim and Pam together again. Really, you? <laughs> but Jim doesn't come back alone. Wow, you were very exotic looking. Was your dad a GI or? Supersize episodes of Earl, The Office, and 30 Rock on its new night. Where else but next Thursday on NBC. Man, does Michael learn nothing? <laughs> no, that's why we love him. That's got to be one of the most probably insulting things I could think of to ask somebody. <laughs> Was your father a GI? <laughs> Oh, uh, good lord! Um, a lot of people on the blog were uh, were complaining about the fact that uh, they gave away the whole thing. Man, they showed Pam and Jim hugging and being like, "Oh, it's really you." I mean, do you think that was too much? I mean, should we have been know. You know, those things don't those things don't always turn out the way the previews make them look. You know, I mean, obviously that happens, but you know, maybe there will be some stuff going on before that. But. Yeah, I guess. I think that the complaints were just basically the fact that at the end of this episode this week that we were sort of up in the air. We didn't really know what was going to happen or how it was going to play out. And then to just show yeah, them, I can see that. To show I, them I hugging agree. all happily was maybe a little little too much of a spoiler. Well, maybe know, it's whatever. a dream sequence. <laughs> it could be the wake up and Jim's in the shower. After that, then, uh, we have a two-week break for Thanksgiving. Uh, the next new episode is on November 30th, and according to zaptoit.com, uh, this episode will have Michael trying to be supportive when he finds one of his new employees has a prison record. Uh, and this is the other thing that uh, why I know that Andy is coming to the office, because it says Jim also gives Andy some dubious coaching when Andy decides to make a move on Pam. Ooh. So that doesn't sound good. Now, yeah, this is, again, of course, The Convict. This is the episode that was written by Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant of the UK version. So uh, check it out. I, I'm interested to see you know, if their take on these characters matches 
sort of where the American writers have gone. So I don't know if they've Probably. had a lot I mean, of direct I, input on the show since they... Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I've learned more about how TV writing works. I mean, I, I think, you know, TV guys, you know, they, they write the main story and then it kind of goes through the process and then Greg Daniels or whoever the showrunner is kind of like, okay, this, 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 and this right. happens. Okay, that wouldn't work. Or kind of like the quality control. Well, that's that's the wrong term, but like continuity uh, expert, I guess. But who can be. say no to David Brent, my friend? Yes. There are certain things a boss does not share with his employees. His salary, his bed, and I am not going to tell them that I'll be reading their emails. I gotta erase a lot of stuff. Just so you know, if you have any sensitive emails, they need to be deleted immediately. I know. A lot of stuff. All right, uh, emails this week. Uh, this comes from Karen, who says, I don't know if this is Karen from the show or not, but she says, hey, uh, kids, I can't believe nobody Ian, talked... thank you for loving me. Oh, oh sorry, sorry. <laughs> I can't believe nobody talked about the funniest part of the Diwali episode. I totally saw it coming, but I absolutely lost it when Jim fell off his bike. Classic. It was my favorite moment of the whole show. Thanks for the podcast. Well, thanks for writing in, Karen. I don't know, Ian, why didn't we talk about that last week? Yeah, I don't know. I guess I thought maybe it was just, uh, I didn't really laugh at that scene, I guess. It was almost like I was expecting it to happen. So I, oh, I was thinking, I was like, God, that would hurt. Didn't surprise me all that much. <laughs> but yeah, it was. Uh, it looked pretty, pretty painful. Melanie writes in, I just finished watching the British version, and Tim never leaves. But when the other branch comes to, is it Slough or Slough? Ah, uh, whatever. He does hook up with someone from that branch. Anyway, what is important is that even though it was obvious to the viewers that Tim had only superficial interest in the girl, Dawn, the Pam character, seemed to take it for more and grew increasingly jealous and therefore more assertive than she'd ever been before in regards to Tim. I know you don't want to compare the English version to the American version, but I can't help but wonder if that isn't where the writers plan on taking Pam and Jim's relationship. I have to admit that I'm really looking forward to the merger, and episodes for that very reason. I think that even though we as an audience know that Jim is not wholly invested in Karen, her very present will be enough of a threat to Pam to push the two of them into some sort of action. Yeah, that's uh, that was my speculation the other week, and like I said, I'm not a, an expert by any means on the British show, but I had been familiar with that, that plot line, and that sort of does sound like what they're going to do. Now, obviously, I, you know, I give them more credit that I think that they'll probably switch it up a little, uh, as that's probably what people are expecting to happen, and they usually don't give us exactly what we're expecting. So Martin, our old friend Martin Sang, says, There was too much going on this episode, but I still liked it a lot. Officially not a piece of shit. So good, <laughs> and it can only get better from here. Well, yeah, Martin playing on his comments from, from last week did not like the Diwali episode. That's the Martin stamp of approval, officially not a piece of shit. Exactly. Hey, this is from Marcy. I really like this episode. It may even be my favorite so far this season. I thought it was funnier that Michael didn't do anything to save it than if he had pulled off some incredible move. The fact that we've seen him make some big deals this year keep it believable enough to me that he'd actually still have a job there. But to have him do something heroic to keep the branch open could have been too much. I was able to laugh more at his wallowing in self-pity since we already knew that things had changed dramatically with the branch closing story. 
And I also like that Karen spilled to the camera about her feelings for Jim. Me too. Don't get me wrong. I'm all about Jim and Pam getting together, but I do like Karen. Me too. And I'll be interested to see what happens next with her. Well, you know what? I, I got to say, I don't know what it was. Um, I didn't find that stuff funny when Michael was, like, being self-pitying. I, I, I just felt really bad for the guy. <laughs> I know that's why we're, we're they set it up that way for us to know that we you know we have more knowledge than he does and we can say oh well you know everything's fine and well, he's he's being so dumb but I don't know I I just I honestly felt bad for him in those moments because that again it's like his worst his worst nightmare come true you know he let everyone down everyone's gonna hate him he's not gonna have any friends anymore um, so I don't know <laughs> I'm glad you could laugh at his misery Marcy. <laughs> <laughs> um, Elizabeth posted on the blog page. She said, "Dear Sexy Beard, you're never getting back with Pam. There's only one room for one triangle, and if you keep up with the lame dialogue, she's never taking Ooh. you back. It's Fancy New Beasley, who it's now clear is either in love or majorly jonesing for Jim, versus Karen for the affectations of Fat Halpert. Go Team Pam! Seeing Angela and Kevin hug is like Stanley and Michael high fiving. Sweet, but we'll never see it again. Great." great episode um and elizabeth i agree i think sexy beard is getting a little played out so he either needs to make a move or get on with his life i don't know this is from Amelia from the dwight army of champions i wonder though what will the office be like with jim as michael's right hand man will he be able to torture dwight more and get away with it or will he have to back off because he's one of the higher ups now and how will michael react to jim's return to the office and beasley Will she be twerped out by Jim's senior status and his new babe? I didn't like that she was so thrilled that the office was closing. I wonder, truly, what would she have done anyway? It seemed a little out of character that she was so happy about it, but she's been a little edgy lately. <laughs> yeah, we've been talking about that the last few weeks, that she seems like uh, she's getting a little grumpy, being a little mean, so... Ah, who knows. All right, this comes from Eric on the blog page. He says, I am already preparing myself for the day that Steve Carell tires of doing TV. You guys touched on it briefly during the podcast last week. It'd be great when he leaves if he could go to corporate instead of getting fired, and that way NBC could use him as a guest star during sweeps weeks. That's not a bad idea. I'd love for them to somehow bring in Ricky Gervais to replace Carell when he leaves, but I'm pretty sure he wouldn't do it. I'd be interested in how what you think The Office might look like in the post-Carell era. I'll still watch. He's great, but the writing is what carries the show. Good job, as always, on the podcast. Well, I don't know. We haven't speculated about that. I, do you think the show can survive and can exist without Steve Carell? I was thinking about this. I don't think you have a show. With, I mean, you know, there are so many other characters, and the writing is what carries the show, but it really is held together by having this idiot boss. And if you don't have that, what... Is there to make fun of? Well, I mean, as you is, said, you could uh, maybe you could bring in um, Stephen Colbert or bring in uh, <laughs> one of these other guys. You could play a bumbling, foolish boss, perhaps. I recast. It. Would that work? I don't know. As a different character, I don't mean the same person, but just maybe as a different character. Um, that might be a stretch. I guess I could see that happening, but I. But that is a great question. Yeah, I honestly don't think that they will continue after he's gone because he is a big part of the show. All right, folks, and that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, make sure you join us next week around this time for Episode 8.0, The Merger. Please send any comments or constructive compliments to twsspodcast at gmail.com. 
and visit the show blog page at that's what she said dot dot com. That's L I B S Y N. Uh, I just want to say again that we've gotten some good response. We got a little community going on over there. People leaving uh, their thoughts and opinions on the different episodes and, and uh, feedback on the show. So, if you are so inclined, please join us. And those of you who have been leaving comments, it's been great. I mean, thanks. It's so fun to read everything every day. Yeah, exactly, and thanks for that, guys. You make my day go by a little better. Uh, if you have a chance, please leave positive feedback on iTunes and help spread the word in the various The Office-related forums. Every little bit helps. And this is your mission this week, folks, is to bombard the cast of The Office telling them to listen to That's What She Said, and hopefully we'll get a mention in one of their blogs. Army of Champions. <laughs> music for this episode is provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com. And let's give Mr. Flenderson the last word this week. Well, for a minute there, I saw myself selling my house, moving to Costa Rica, learning how to surf. But Costa Rica will still be there when I'm 65. <laughs>